0: Hello and welcome, I'm Jonathan Beal and this is the ASB Investment Podcast, a show that keeps you up to date on the market and helps you make smart choices with your investments. Today I'm chatting with Jonathan Sheed and Anthony Zielinski from State Street Global Advisors. The guys have popped over from Australia to share their outlook on the market for 2020, as well as the opportunities and risks with fixed income investments in this low interest rate environment. These are entirely our own views. It's not investment advice, but we know plenty of experts at ASB that'll be happy to chat if you need. Well, here we are in the booth in uh, Ponsonby, and we're joined by Jonathan and uh, Anthony, and we've got Marade here as well. So welcome, Jonathan and Anthony, firstly. Uh, awesome to have you come over from uh, Australia, especially to do the podcast. It's obviously our uh, reach is reaching, reaching Australia, and we've had uh, fan mail from the US as well. So uh, thanks for coming. Maybe uh, start with you, John. John? Um, John or Jonathan, I should probably get that sorted out. John
1: around. or Jonathan, John either or Jonathan. is fine. Let's yeah. do John. I, sure. I'm, Let's do John. I'm
0: pleased you spell it the same way as I do
1: as well, which is the correct way. That's it's, correct. Uh, it is only one way to spell it, Exactly.
0: John. So tell us a little bit about yourself, John, and what you do at, uh, at State Street.
1: Uh, I'm head of investments in the Australian business, um, and I've been at State Street for uh, nearly 20 years. I actually trained as an actuary. Uh, which is usually not a good start for a podcast but that's my background <laughs> and I noticed in the booth here you have lots of musical instruments I was originally going to be a musician oh wow so I somehow ended up uh, as an as an actuary and then yeah. working in funds management so really
0: yeah. I've never heard a musician say I was going to I was an actuary and then I became a musician no but, uh, it's funny that
1: it doesn't yeah, seem to but, work that way around so. does it okay
0: cool and what about you Anthony were you an actuary or Oh, God, no.
2: (laughs) No, so um, I've been with uh, State Street for uh, almost 10 years, which interestingly for our company makes me to be a youngster. We've got some incredible longevity there. Um, and, uh, so I head up our institutional client group, looking after our clients in Australia and, and New Zealand. I'm pleased to say I've been working with New Zealand clients, um, with State Street in my previous role for almost 15 years. I absolutely love coming over here and, uh, leapt at the opportunity to be on the, uh, the must do podcast. Great.
0: And you guys are based in Sydney. So are you affected by any of these bushfires, or are you close, close to any of them? Or? Yeah, I,
1: I live to the west of Sydney in yeah. the Blue Mountains, which is peak bushfire territory. Um, oh, wow. The last major bushfires, uh, my town was actually more or less burnt out. But this time around, uh, it's all quiet on the my western goodness. front for us yeah. at the moment. It's awful. Yeah. I just can't.
0: I remember driving the, um, what was it, the Great Coast Road, and uh, like... The road, you can see the flames have jumped across sort of four lanes onto the other side. Just incredible. just can't imagine what it's like. Like You see it on TV, but it's just awful. And we've got Maraid as well, back in the booth, Mairead. Yeah. and uh, Good to have you. So from our asset management team. And uh, you have been away. You've done a bit of a research trip and you've been on holiday. Tell us a little bit about some of the places you visited.
3: All right. Well, I'll start with the research trip first. That was the second part of the month. Uh, we went away. Uh, John Smith and I went away to um singapore london and san francisco um to do a research trip so looking at those markets what are the guys doing over there that potentially we can adopt here um so yeah we spoke to lots of different experts in the industries over there and spent a lot of time with state street as well and both in all three of those places um so looking at themes, and um, we did pick out some specific themes to look at before we yep. went away. So asset allocation, downside risk protection, given the markets have had a great run over the past few years, so it can't continue forever. So we were quite um, interested in yep. what else we can be doing. So two weeks um, traveling and lots of meetings for that. So great. great experience.
0: And a bit of downtime on holiday as well. In, yeah. Did you go back to Ireland?
3: I did. I went back to Ireland first. Um, I thought, well... Um, if I'm going that side of the world, I may as well spend two weeks with family. So that coincided nicely with um, my mum's birthday celebration. So, oh, oh. happy yeah. birthday, mum. <laughs> <laughs> she will not be happy for me saying that on, yeah. on a podcast. But um, how old? How old? Oh, <laughs> 60 again. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, 60 again. Maybe a few years extra. Fantastic.
0: Yeah. It oh, must be nice to have. So, there's a big family, Irish family? Or...
3: Uh, well, not as big as you'd expect. There's only four of us. So, by Irish standards, that's probably. Uh, relatively small. So yeah, me and my three brothers, we all got together. We hadn't been together in eight years, so oh, that was lovely. the first time and lovely. I did a surprise entrance. They didn't know I was oh. going to be going. So Wow.
0: Yeah. And the, and she was pleased to see
3: you. She was. I made her cry. So that was oh. goal achieved. <laughs>
0: always 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 a great goal to have. Yeah. Fantastic. All right, so we might start um well maybe we start simply and then we'll move up into sort of sort of outlook of for next year and role of fixed interest. But we might sort of start with just give a bit of context about State Street. So you no know, what is State Street? The size of it? Where's like? Let's start
1: really simply. Where's the name come from? And those types of things. Yeah, the, the name it's actually named after, believe it or not, the street the bank was on. So it's a very old bank, and uh, established in the early eighteen hundreds in Boston in the U.S. And it was the bank that was, the bank on State Street, and so it it became known as the State Street Bank. And uh, I think it started with the whalers, didn't it, Anthony?
2: It did. Uh, it was a custody bank, still is to this day, one of the world's foremost custody entities. Um, and the Boston Whalers, who would spend six to nine months at sea in a very, very dangerous profession, would leave all their goods in safekeeping with State Street and the bank at State Street. And if they were unfortunate enough not to return home, um, we would provide the assets to their, to their families. Um, and that, you know, for ethos is still with us over 200 years later, and the bank's one of the I think five or six oldest in the world, continually operating, um, and it's it's our heritage which I think all of us are, are very proud of uh, through all parts of the bank. All
1: and right, I state,
0: think, the state street is then spread out across the from Boston out globally. Then,
1: yeah, very. I mean, we have a an asset management arm, which is the arm that Anthony and I work for, and we have clients across 50 or 60 countries, and we have investment managers in nine different countries. So we're spread across the globe. Uh, we manage some long-distance telephone number amount of assets. It's uh, nearly $3 trillion, uh, wow. US dollars. So it's, it's a very, very big firm. Yeah. But because most of our clients are you know, sovereign wealth funds and central banks and are those really large asset owners, uh, very few people have heard of us. Um, Mm. very few mums and dad investors have actually heard of us despite the fact that we're one of the largest asset managers in the world
0: are you guys like top three largest fund manager in the world so like it's uh, it's awesome to have a relationship uh, with you and Maraid. maybe on the relationship part site maybe for people listening so what's the asb state street relationship how long has that Mm. been uh, around what do they do for us
3: yes so we've had a relationship we're chatting about this earlier for over 20 years in, in total which is phenomenal um today um state street look after our global bond exposure so global government bonds and global corporate bonds, and they manage over 3 billion in assets for us. So we have quite a close working relationship with um, State Street. I'm on the phone to you, Anthony, probably every week at least. um, And we see each other at least every quarter. We have regular phone calls. And part of my main role is uh, manager selection selection and um, manager monitoring. So um, yeah, we've very close relationship and you do a phenomenal job of looking after those assets. So Really happy with that relationship.
0: Fantastic. Okay, so let's, let's let's drill into a little bit. Let me start, sort of maybe a macro level about um, 2019. So, how would you how would you describe what 2019? What's it been like for
1: you managing money for us, and uh, what have you seen? It's been a, a tricky year because um, there's been a lot of uncertainty about what 2020 is going to hold, and uh, we had that a bit of a downturn at the end of last year and into this year. And there were fears that that was going to turn into a more significant downturn. And within bond markets, everyone was watching what's called the uh, the inversion of the curve. You know, were short rates uh, going to get above long rates and so on? Um, so there's been a, a certain amount of trepidation in both fixed income and equity markets over the course of this year. I think we're moving into the year end with a little bit more confidence about 2020, um, we're kind of feeling that the uh, global economy should actually be reasonably stable next year and should recover uh, next year, but it's been a bit of a, a bit of a roller coaster yeah, ride over yeah, the course exactly. of this year. I and, think.
0: And what's giving you that confidence for 2020? What, what something's
1: changed in the in recent times? I think we've looked at uh, things like the jobs market in particular around the globe, and we've seen uh, unemployment rates at particularly low levels. That doesn't seem to be feeding through into any real inflation problems. Uh, And the U.S. consumer seems to be doing pretty well. Uh, And there are parts of the economy that are really holding up quite well, particularly around services, for example. Um, China is slowing down, but seems to be slowing down in a kind of a controlled way. So, Uh, we think that things look okay for 2020, um, albeit there are definitely some risks out there. And we've had
0: a couple of other people talk to us, um, some of our fund managers, about sort of recession and is there going to be a recession? Do you have a... What's State Street's view on recession?
1: We don't think there will be uh, a recession next year. So we think... Global growth this year um, will be a little bit soft, but it should pick up slightly uh, in aggregate next year, probably led by the U.S. Sentiment's pretty good in the U.S. Um, Manufacturing is struggling a little bit in the U.S., what with uh, trade wars and so on. Um, But services are doing well, the consumer's holding up, and that's kind of flowing through to the rest of the world at the moment.
0: yep yeah. And with your um, your surname, uh, Anthony, you've got, we just need to make a sort of a caveat. You're not related to the uh, Ukraine prime minister at all there?
2: Uh, Absolutely not. No, okay. Thankfully, thankfully it's a very different spelling.
0: I just think that's important we disclose that to our, to our listeners. But uh, is the... Um, the the sort of um, trade war and stuff. Are you are you seeing that sort of playing out better than we thought, or is that going to be something that's just going to be a, a watch and see? What what do you think about that?
1: We've we've been of the view that it's less likely to turn out catastrophically, okay. so we think that um, it will probably resolve, uh, particularly this phase one. Uh, but markets are extremely twitchy. And if there's one thing that markets are watching, it's uh, either what China says or what Trump tweets in relation to trade. That's probably the most sensitive subject at the moment. We think it probably will get sorted out this phase one. We don't think it's going to escalate further. Um, Beyond that, it gets complicated because there are so many other issues at stake around technology and security and so on. Um, So... We don't think it's going to escalate further, um, and, and the market's perhaps overdone a little bit its fears. Okay.
3: Um, I was just wondering on that point. Um, So there's been talk of, you know, trade wars, and that's been very vocal about it that with Trump. Has that been going on longer than Trump's era, or like behind the scenes, or is this something that Trump has brought to the surface as part of his presidency?
1: I think it's something Trump has brought to the surface, but it's part of a much more significant global shift towards nationalism and populism. And if you were to look at the... You've seen signs of that in the UK and Europe as well. So trade, I think, is maybe uh, the canary in the coal mine for some other bigger shifts in um, the, the global climate.
0: Well, we've talked with Chris Tennant Brown before about Trump's going to need some wins going into the yeah. to the election, and this seems like, like a really big win if he can tweet to say he's done an awesome job and he's made America great again and, you know, share markets are still again. going again and again. <laughs> share markets have been going again. It's gonna just, just going to be positive for him, surely. Yeah, he can't afford another loss, put yeah. it that way. Yeah, exactly. And so the, uh, I think the theme of a lot of the podcasts we've been doing over the last... Um, uh, we while is sort of the low interest rate environment, and you guys like a smash in the middle of, of that. So, how how do you sort of navigate your way around that? What are, what should we be thinking about, and
1: what are some of the things you're thinking about with the interest rates? It's a really tough one. And, and had you said ten to fifteen years ago, we'd be talking about zero in some cases, negative interest rates, and even long bond rates below two percent. Um, I would have said you were barking mad. So, we live in strange times. Uh, One of the things that clients like you uh, are doing is looking at how they structure their fixed income portfolios. So, uh, for example, owning very long-dated fixed income um, is much more of a problem if interest rates rise. So we are seeing clients who are uh, buying shorter-dated fixed income or focusing on that part of the market rather than longer-dated fixed income. We're also seeing interest in things like corporate fixed income, where you can get a little bit more yield um, or high yield income. Uh, You know, if you're only going to get sub 1% on a global government bond portfolio, and if you can pick up two and a half to three on corporates, uh, you know, or you can pick up five or six on high yield, there are definitely more risks involved. But those are the sorts of things we're seeing clients do. Yeah.
0: And what are some of the clients saying to you, other clients saying to you, Anthony, about how how they're thinking about it?
2: It, it It is the common theme this you know the the yields have have fallen away. total returns have remained strong as interest rates have just ratcheted down and down and down. Um, and there's that that big question what is the role of the fixed income in my portfolio? Um, you know we only have to remember. Some of us do, you know, 2007 where, you know, equity markets fell precipitously and now, you know, fixed income does have a role to play in long-term asset allocation, and, but unfortunately memories can be quite short and it's, they're grappling there and how do we balance yield now, income now? but equally being cognizant and mindful of the risks.
0: Yeah. How how would you sum up the role of fixed interest in a diversified portfolio for for the for the layperson?
1: Oh, I think I'll defer to my head
2: of investments
1: <laughs> <laughs> for that one. Um, it, it, it's it's a buffer. Yeah? Okay. It, it's a kind of a buffer. So you can paint scenarios where fixed income markets fall and you can paint scenarios where equity markets fall. But when markets fall, equities tend to fall a lot further than fixed income. Okay. So uh, it provides a buffer uh, in that sense.
0: Yeah. I think people sort of forget that they sort of go, oh, why have I got this part of my portfolio? It doesn't seem to be performing as well as this other sexy share portfolio that's doing really well. But actually, it's actually in the last few years, actually, with the interest rates coming down, the, the value of the yeah. bonds have gone up and actually you've seen some real capital growth in in, in bonds. but. It, I think people forget that actually it is that balancing, it is that buffer approach, and without it, your sort of your risk profile is a lot higher, isn't it?
1: Absolutely, absolutely. So,
0: and so, um, as we go into sort of twenty twenty, um, interest rate outlook from State Street, where are
1: you sort of we're picking it? We seem to have reached perhaps a bit of a turning point in the easing that we're seeing globally. Um, so we're less convinced that. Uh, people like the U.S. will continue to cut interest rates. We may actually have reached the bottom of that cycle, famous last words. Uh, so, you know, we, we we think we're probably at that point in the interest rate cycle. Um, in terms of longer-term interest rates, they tend to be more sensitive around inflation. So what does the world think long-term inflation is going to happen? And part of the dramatic change that we've seen in the last 10 years has actually been that Dramatic decline in inflation globally and in inflation expectations. Um, yeah, like it's
0: it's just something that oh, we've talked about here before about inflation in New Zealand. That it just seems, whatever the Reserve Bank try to do, they just can't seem to stimulate any any inflation. Is that is that a, is that a global global problem? Or?
1: It, it's a global problem, uh, and there are larger forces at play. So the aging of the population in OECD countries, the glut of savings from retirees, uh, falling productivity—there are a whole stack of reasons that inflation doesn't seem to be the problem that it was uh, in the seventies and eighties. So there are a lot of very long-term yeah. secular forces that are keeping inflation down.
0: My my um, the thing I use about to understand inflation is every night when I sit at home in my uh, in my chair sorted out the kids and I get a bit of quiet time. I got my favourite chair I sit in and I look up at my television and go, I paid about $3,000 for that television ten years ago. And if I bought the TV now, it would be probably half the price and ten times better than the the one I've got sitting on my wall that I think is just way too wide, yeah. That there's a really good example of inflation. Oh, yeah. Like things have just got cheaper, eh? Right? In a lot of instances where actually things used to get more expensive, it's just completely turned on its head, isn't
1: it? Yeah, yeah. There's a. I I just look at the gear in the podcast booth here and think what well, that used to cost 20 years exactly. ago. Exactly, you know? exactly. When the Beatles were, well, that's probably <laughs> more than 20 yeah, that's years that's ago, right. <laughs> when the Beatles were in a booth like this and
0: bang it out, mm-hmm. and it out hits. But, uh, <laughs> hey, now, Murray, maybe from your side of asset management, we talked about, and John's talked a little bit about going, Uh, sort of maybe shorter in the in the bonds than sort of shorter term than long term what are some of the things that we use at ASB to help with that around maybe asset allocation might be one that you wanted to talk about
3: yeah so as part of our asset allocation process we do um, make calls in terms of the short duration and long duration position within our global government bonds and we have actively made a choice to be short duration in global government bonds to um, combat the idea that interest rates may rise in the future and that is you know to explain the why we do that the as interest rates go up your return um goes down so it is to try and um protect and the portfolio and be defensive within our fixed income yeah. assets
0: it's a bit like if you are i suppose you're in a term deposit and you're going oh well i'll take a one month and three month rather than sort of a five year term deposit because the right might be a, the rate might be a little bit higher for the five year but if rates start rising i'm going oh my god i'm yeah, locked, locked into in. this for five yeah, years yeah exactly and okay. I, I suppose that's the way we manage fixed interest across a billions or trillions of dollars is the same way of thinking about it, isn't it?
1: Yeah, and look, we've had a similar position in our more actively managed portfolios. We've tended to be underweight those long-duration fixed-income assets. Um, that, that that's that's been a, a fairly common position yeah. for us and globally sort of short duration you were yeah the other day, on the um, trip seems to be the thing to be isn't
3: it? yeah on the research trip across everybody we saw and we saw like 15 different companies across from clients to um investment managers and pretty much everybody said they were short duration
1: um across the board yeah interesting it, it, but it's not that Long bonds are not being purchased, and this is one of the strange things about the long bond market, because there's a lot of defined benefit pension schemes who need to buy those very, very long-dated fixed incomes in order to hedge their liabilities, uh, I, I, I did confess I was an actuary at the start of this podcast. You kept <laughs> out of it for a while. So. <laughs> that's right. So there are buyers for those assets, which is one of the things that's keeping um, ah. those assets at very hefty prices. Okay. Hey, now, good, good segue, but because uh,
0: you've done a bit of work on in-retirement and mm. income and stuff. Do you mm. want to talk a little bit about some of, your, some of your thoughts or findings around that?
1: Yeah, one of the great stresses of the low interest rate environment we're in is actually for retirees. And I've noticed every time the Reserve Bank in Australia or uh, in New Zealand cuts interest rates, you get a cheers from younger people with mortgages and you get tears from um, older retirees who are trying to live off their term deposits or their interest uh, earnings. And that problem of income is a, a major issue for retirees. And it's one that lots of asset management firms have been, gra- have been trying to grapple with. And if you look at where equity markets have got to, they seem like they've reached extreme levels until you think that, well, actually equities are yielding something like 2.5%. And if you look at the profitability of companies in equity markets, their profitability yield or their profit yield is something like 5 or 6%, and you compare that to 1% on um, a government bond, and all of a sudden you see one of the reasons that equity markets continue to look attractive. Uh, And so I think we're seeing a shift for retirees away from saying, uh, I need to have fixed interest investments to saying, I am probably going to have to have things like equities in my portfolio uh, and I'm just going to have to wear some ups and downs. Yeah,
0: exactly. We've we've definitely seen that through sort of the, the clients that we're talking to around that hunt for yield. And if John Smith was here, um, he'd talk about the sort of um, Australasian equities and sort of the dividends you can get off You can get off those and sort of well-managed and, you know, almost like defensive stock um, that will continue to pay the dividend. If you want the income, that's actually why you've bought that asset. It's not around the capital growth and just to keep it. And this is sort of a di- almost a different mindset. to. Uh, I've got to age 65. I need to go conservative. That's probably, as we look forward in the future, it's not going to be a, a very smart strategy, is it?
1: No, and one one of the strange things about Equity markets and the information age that we live in is everyone knows what their shares are worth. And sometimes I think if you were to say, just look at the dividends you're going to earn and ignore the value, uh, dividends tend to be a lot less volatile than people realize. And if you can avoid tracking the prices day in, day out, that's one of the reasons that I think we're seeing equities now being seen as a source of income yeah. as well as a longer term source of growth.
0: And what, what sort of sort of things are you seeing in Australia? Are people sort of developing new products or solutions to help in the, in retirement? How, how, how's that? Is that is that playing through in that market? or
1: It's, it's playing through uh, in many advisor, uh, uh, amongst many advisors. Yeah. Um, From a product point of view, Australia has been going through a process of trying to develop a standard superannuation retirement product. And I think there's been a little bit of reticence for people to release superannuation products while nobody knows what the rules are going to be. Um, So things have paused a bit there. But for advised clients, uh, we're seeing a lot of interest in income products generally, and a lot of them are equity-based.
0: Yeah. So it's certainly a change, isn't it? I think we we see the way we've managed the money over the of the years via investment committee, the more and more focus on sort of in retirement. there's some mm. of the things that you were saying when you were on your trip as well, wasn't there?
3: Yeah, it? like the way I'd nearly summarise um, the outcomes of the research trip was that we should be looking at through retirement, not to retirement, because um, in other countries, they do have to take the money out at 65, whereas we can stay invested in the same products right through um, uh, till the end. So... Yeah. You should be thinking about the the longer term and not just sixty five.
0: It's also I'm not sure that the word retirement is going to last. I, I, I think I think it's like you a, don't plan on retiring. Well, I, I don't think. No, I know I'm, uh, well, probably. <laughs> uh, but I'm going to transition into a different lifestyle, and that's I think that's probably a, a different way of thinking about it, hey, Anthony. And, like,
2: and even sixty five is is not. The end. It's no. It, it's the beginning. It's yeah. H- halfway. I yeah. mean, you know, 65 is perhaps the end of the accumulation phase, but the accumulation is going to go 20, 30 years. It's going to have time frames and transitions as as you work through it. And you know, as you said, this ability to stay in the system to keep keep a balanced product. Yeah. The balance might change a little, but totally. um, your time frames are now. 60 70 yeah, you know it's probably someone joining KiwiSaver today at 18 who'll will be there for probably 80 years yeah um and 65's just yeah. a um yeah. just a point on
0: the curve and it's all it's all i remember um it's it's changed i think if um you know if you get to i think the life expectancy in New Zealand is something like 80 for I'm going to get this wrong, 84, 85 for females. And I think it's a little bit higher for, for men. It might be the other way around. Actually. Oh, I think it's the other way around. Sorry, Maureen. <laughs> we've and, got that. Um, But if you get to age 65, then your life expectancy then kicks up to sort of 91, 92. So it's, you know, the, if you get there, then there's probably like, so you start thinking about, well, I could be in retirement for 25 years. Even if there a small amount of inflation is there, that's going to have a massive impact on your, on your capital value. So you need to think about growing your money. If I think about my father, that, that was the last thing on his mind when he got to retirement. Very different, eh?
1: And I think the other thing that's changed is the need for flexibility. So a generation ago, you reached retirement and it was a cliff edge event. You, you left work and you immediately uh, went on the pension or you got a, uh, a superannuation benefit from your employer, whereas now the expectation is much more around, oh, I'm going to work part-time or I'm going to work on contract or I'm going to do pro bono work. Uh, and so this idea that people reach 65 and they're old but they're not frail yeah. and they still have a huge amount to contribute. Uh, there's a really interesting book called The 100-Year Life that looks at some of the long-term impacts of this new demographic of people who are old but not frail. Yeah, and still have a huge amount to contribute.
0: I'm the worst person I know, and I my father gave this skill to me. Around, I'm useless at DIY. Like I, I've learned from the master. My father was terrible, even though he used to say, "If you read, if you can read, you can do anything." Uh, except DIY. Um, and so, but I go to Bunnings now, and it's just the best place in the world because everyone who works in Bunnings is typically over the age of 65, and they know exactly what they're talking about. And they're perfect for people like me who go in and go, I'm trying to hang a picture. Uh, what do I need? Stay away from is, the power tools, Mr. <laughs> Boone. <laughs> Honestly, but it's just, it's, just a lot of them have like, run businesses for 20 years, been in the trade, and it's just brilliant. It's just such a smart idea. And it just... Oh, it's,
1: uh, people like me, is perfect.
3: And they have a sausage sizzle most Saturdays and, a, and
1: Sundays. And they have a sausage so. sizzle, exactly. Oh, here yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah. Oh, they do it in Australia. I, I'm glad to see that's a trans-Tesman. <laughs> is, it, is that a Kiwi thing or a... No, no, we have sausage sizzle at the front. Yeah, yeah? Yeah, Definitely yeah. Definitely Australia.
0: Yeah. But you, are you claiming <laughs> that Australia... Oh, please. ...inventing Australia. the sausage sizzle <laughs> Okay, oh, We're, We're going to re- have to... <laughs> hey, Kate, I just want to finish. I asked this of... Um, of uh, BlackRock and uh, the Vanguard guys when they're in because I just, I just love this idea about people getting into investment management and it's not something that's easy to do. Like you go to school and they go, oh, you're going to get, I want to be a fund manager, I want an investment manager. It's like really hard. So I'd be really interested to understand, John, how, how did you get into, into investments and how did you get into, say, what was the, you started as an actuary and a failed musician, but how, how did you, you get into
1: it? I, I started as an actuary and I was consulting. And so I was doing um, manager selection and those kind of things. Uh, And after about 10 or 12 years of doing that, uh, this was in about uh, 2000, uh, I started to work for um, State Street in what was more of a a client-facing kind of role. So it was really a a gradual transition from consulting originally uh, and then moving across. And what drew me to the industry was uh, I love maths. And I loved an intellectual challenge. And so it started as an intellectual challenge, but I've come to realize that this business is actually about people. And you have a responsibility of looking after people's money. And I think as I've got older, still very young, as I've got older, I've appreciated that side of the industry far more. Interesting.
2: And Anthony, how did you get into, into the industry? Uh, interesting journey. I've got a New Zealand connection to it. Uh... Many years ago, I was working for a New Zealand company called Ferns Fertilizer, New Zealand, a subsidiary there of it. Uh, working in Australia, and my now wife was transferred to San Francisco. This is back in two thousand. I took one look at the Nasdaq and dot com. Oh, my- This will be fine. I can get I'll (laughs) be a business developer. I'll have options by Tuesday. Retired by Friday. I landed on the day the Nasdaq peaked and started its inexorable floor fall from five thousand fifteen. No work papers. No nothing. Just a typical Aussie or New Zealand can-do attitude. Bars, pub, networking. Ended up working for a little company back then called Barclays Global Investors, oh, the, the forerunner okay. of BlackRock San Francisco. They did quite um, well. and, and And just went, went from there, came home to Australia 14 years ago um, and I've been working with them ever since. So I, and I, I, I get pick up on John's point. It is, are, you know, the, the coolest thing is when you meet the people who are managing these monies and then the people behind them and whether it be funds like it. ASB and your money, some of the sovereign entities we work with, it's, it's a really cool responsibility to be, that you can be connected to it and have a, an impact on, you know, a small impact on outcomes, but we, we are, we are connected to them Fantastic. And, um, you know, it's, it's a challenging world and it's going to keep changing and be challenging. So enjoying it. And... Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you
0: very much to both of you. It's, um, it's an absolute pleasure and, uh, I'll probably speak for Moraine as well. Like we we do really appreciate the support and um, work you do for ASB and our ASB customers. And I just think the, the, the last few things you said over the last couple of minutes about people, you're dead right. And that's why we love working with people like State Street, that you, you you understand what's important. You understand that we're trying to get great outcomes for our customers, and that's just the most important thing. So thanks for your time. Thank you. And uh, we'll see you again soon in the booth. Absolutely. Our pleasure. Thanks very much. Thanks. Thanks for joining us today on the ASB Investment Podcast. If you have any thoughts on today's episode or if there's anything you'd like us to discuss on future shows, please fire your suggestions through to podcasts at asb.co.nz.